About this film, critic Sean Axmaker of Stream of Demand says it has a kind of purity and comic grace to it all, like an elaborately choreographed dance of physical comedy. Sam Adams of The Dissolve says the film makes a strong argument for the liberating joys of disorder. And actor J.B. Smoove says it's one of his favorite damn movies of all time. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of the 1968 cult classic, The Party. Greetings, Starfighters. Were you trying to think of something party-related to call people instead of Starfighters? Nope, that was absolutely intentional because, you know what, I wanted to give some space if anyone else wanted to fill in, fill in the blank there. You wanted anyone... to leave. You wanted to leave room for our listeners to to insert their own interpretation. I just have this image of a greeting, and then everybody who's either in their cars or in their or homes, I guess, uh, just kind of calling back starfighters. And I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Dan, you look nice today. You're wearing a, a button up shirt. I feel like it's <laughs> been a while since I've I've seen you. I don't know. Putting on clothes for people to see. Oh. <laughs> you mean not t-shirts? Not t-shirts. And by the way, this goes that goes way back to before uh, the COVID uh, quarantine and, and lockdown and all that. So, yeah, because I am fortunate to teach in a school where I can dress comfortably. Yeah. This shirt that I'm wearing today is a I'm gonna get, give some props to Amazon Basics for hooking me up with some <laughs> okay. nice not hooking me up I paid for them yeah. but they're not like a sponsor uh, <laughs> unless they want to be but uh, I I got this was actually for our big family trip last year to Hawaii ah and I ordered some of these because I had put on some weight needed to uh, upsize my mm. some of my wardrobe and I. Just every now and again, especially if it's really hot out and today in Seattle, it's 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 going to be pretty hot. Yeah. And the T-shirts, the T-shirts, uh, the T-shirts are sometimes a little restrictive okay. in terms of airflow. So a nice button down. Hey, get some passageways for the, the air to flow. I am I am in full suburban barbecue dad yeah no kidding regalia except i will be not i will not be barbecuing today yeah i don't who knows i don't know just put some food on the ground it'll cook it up so you could crack you could sizzle you could crack an egg of course you could you could you could fry you an could egg crack an there egg it on it you could crack an egg <laughs> on it and then fry that egg on it so well dan you look nice you look like well, you're ready so. to go to and, a party and john I am. I've been admiring your mustache. Oh yes, I. John did I, not have a mustache pre the last time we. Correction. Spoke. Oh. I've had a mustache for months. Oh, I'm but sorry. I've you also have not had, had a beard. You have not had. Only, the mustache has not flown solo. I didn't yet. just add it this morning. I no. got rid of the <laughs> the the beard surrounding it. 
So the mustache has now gone solo. Once once upon a time, John's face was Destiny's Child, and now it is all Beyonce. Solo, a the facial hair story. Taking the spotlight. Yes. It's, you know what, it... I was also uh, wearing a collar. John is also wearing a shirt yeah, but, with a collar you know, and a couple of buttons. So as I am wont to do, this is less typically. unusual than if I'm it, when I go into school. When when such things can happen again, if I'm wearing a shirt like this, the kids think that parents are coming in or like the principal's coming to observe. If yeah. there's more than like two buttons, and if there's like a starched collar, they're like, "Is today what's happening a starched today?" Starched collar. This is this collar is not starched. Go yeah. Ahead. So. Since we are currently, you know, in COVID times, I was uh, actually at work yesterday and I had my mask on and I caught a glimpse in the mirror and the beard was like coming out from underneath. And I was like, not a good look. I'm going to I'm going to get rid of it. Also makes the mask less effective. I've heard arguments in in both directions. Well, I don't think it makes it much less effective, but... It's and since it is so hot out, it's a lot sweatier under there, to be honest. But we are oh, not facts. here to talk about this. We are here to talk about that. And by we're that, talking I mean about a movie where there is no social distancing, no mask wearing, because no, it's the it swing is in such 60s. it is such pre-COVID times that it is in fact 1968. Yes, yes. So, Dan, we are talking about the party today. That we are. I we're not going to do a one more thing because we are recording this way in advance and we don't know what it's coming after. No idea. So no, no idea. more no one more things for us to mention right now. We will be able to tell you what's coming next. That's true. So I don't know where I'm going but I sure know where I've been but it's the it's the reverse of that white snake <laughs> to paraphrase white snake. There you go. So the party is, uh, you know, it's a movie that I saw, was I in college maybe? And Dan, had you seen, when When did you see this for the first time? A couple of months ago. A couple of months ago. I did I never, suggest it to you? I think I yeah. added it to the list on uh, for, for this podcast. You had mentioned it. To me. It had been on my radar, but on the yeah. outskirts of my radar. Because, well, it's, it's a Peter, it's a celebrated yeah. Peter Sellers film and- you're you're nodding reluctantly. Well, and I, because we'll get well, into that. Oh no, but I I'm just I'm saying I don't know that it's the first that comes to mind. I think if you say if if you ask someone to name three Peter Sellers movies, the party might not like if it's Family Feud and we're going for six responses, the party might come up there. <laughs> but then again, you've got how many Pink Panthers? Six. So yeah, six Pink Panthers. <laughs> so you could it could just all be Pink. Survey says Pink Panther. Well, yeah. But well, let's let's go through. We got the Pink Panther movies. Doctor Strange Love. Doctor Strange Love. We have arguably being, my favorite. We have Being There, which is my favorite. Mm, being There is like a in terms of in terms of of like acting. Being yes. There, I think, is just his best performance. I will say though, uh, I think that when I last saw Doctor Strange Love, I was quite young, and I don't think I was ready for it. Oh. So I do need to watch it again, and I am absolutely all about watching it again. He's just he's so being there and being there. Peter Sellers takes on is really just in that one role, and while there's comedy to it, there's also it's it's a deep character. He's a Chance the the gardener who yeah. he's the gardener for the the Chauncey first lady. Gardner. Yeah, played by um, uh, Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. And it's a touching, it's such a touching film. 
Dr. Strangelove is very effective. Touching is not one of the words that comes to mind, but Dr. (laughs) Strangelove is, I mean, it's frightening. It's hilarious. It is definitely in touch with today's climate. The, the, the propaganda of the, the, the general played by Sterling. I don't know if he was a general played by Sterling Hayden Mm -hmm. talking about the, the Russians putting I think chlorine in the water. Yeah. And yeah, if you haven't seen it in a long time, I highly recommend going back to it. And Peter Sellers plays three roles brilliantly. Brilliantly. Yeah, I this name, spoiler, will come up later, but I feel like he was kind of the Sasha Baron Cohen of his time, who like could slip into all these characters flawlessly. Yes. And was was known for his ability to just like transform into a completely different person as he does in the party, which we will, of course, talk about after mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. synopsis. <laughs> Take it away, John. After Harundi V. Bakshi, a dumb shit actor, totally screws up a movie shoot, the film's producer demands to the studio head that he is blacklisted from Hollywood. Having accidentally jotted down his name on a piece of paper that contained a list of guests for an upcoming dinner party, his secretary sends Harundi the invitation of a lifetime. The moment Harundi arrives at the party, chaos ensues. He chases his errant shoe through a series of channels in the home's indoor water features, ultimately flinging it onto a serving tray. His curiosity gets the best of him when he encounters the house's control panel that operates a PA system, retractable bar, flooring that opens up into a pool, and even the flow strength of a cherubic water feature that emulates urination into the pool. Harundi meets Western star Wyoming Bill Kelso, who is amused by Harundi, but is also attempting to woo his date. Harundi is then also enamored by the studio head's pet bird and his birdie num-nums. But Harundi isn't the only source of mayhem. A cater waiter gets progressively drunk and sets chaos into motion, on and on again. Also, the studio head's activist daughter brings her friends home, along with a baby elephant painted with messages of protest. One other guest at the party is C.S., one of the producers from the film from which Harundi was fired, though he can't quite remember where he'd seen Harundi before. With C.S. is his date, Michelle Monet, an aspiring performer who zooby zooby zoos her way into everyone's hearts with a lovely song during the party. C.S. has promised Michelle a screen test, though there is only one condition. She has to sleep with him. After she turns him down, he storms off and she buddies up with Harundi, who have the time of their lives at the party. So, Peter Sellers plays Harundi Vibakshi, who is from India. And yes, we are definitely going to talk about his depiction of an an Indian person, uh, and he's 1,000% 1,000% doing brown face in this. Claudine Langer plays Michelle Monet. And Dan, do you know much about her? I don't know. Um, Go on. Absolutely fascinating. So she was a singer and she was uh, married to Andy Williams from 61 until 75. And after... that, that That's a tiny bubble. That's a tiny bubble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Andy Williams reference. Yes. So, but what's most fascinating about her is that she was dating Olympic skier Spider Savage and maybe killed him. So here's, 
here's what the whole story is. And I have only scratched the surface in terms of research on this one. But according to her testimony, she... I'm trying to like I'm trying to get this right, so I'm just gonna refer to her um her Wikipedia under the arrest and trial section. So she was arrested and charged with fatally shooting Spider Savage uh in Aspen. And she said that the gun discharged accidentally as he was showing her how it worked. That sounds solid, right? So uh yeah, it's pretty wild. The jury convicted her of negligent homicide and sentenced her to pay a small fine and spend 30 days in jail. So the judge allowed her to choose the days to be served. This is, uh, I'm quoting Wikipedia, uh, believing this arrangement would allow her to spend time with her children. She chose to serve most of her sentence on weekends. Critical reaction to the verdict and sentencing was exacerbated when she subsequently vacationed with her defense attorney, Ronald D. Austin, who was married at the time. Scandal. And uh, she and Austin later married, and they allegedly still live in Austin. Sorry, still live in Aspen. Read that a little too fast. I was like, Austin, where did that come from? So she's fascinating. Uh, The cast is, for me, a lot of people that I wasn't super familiar with. From what I could tell, a lot of people who were in, you know, just a bunch of random movies and TV shows like studio players. I think you studio players. Um, so (laughs) I have to talk about the character Levinson, who's the waiter who's played by Steve Franken. And my, how amazing is he in this movie? You know, talk about I, the, the idea of stealing the spotlight or stealing the show from Peter Sellers is practically unthinkable yeah, and then you see Steve Franken in this movie, and it's they work together. They really so do. Well. well, during the the dinner scene, Peter Sellers is like once he's we set up the whole situation, and he's just kind of sitting there. Everything that plays with Levinson between Levinson and the the I guess leader of the caterers, or I don't know exactly what you would call that person. Mm-hmm. Um, so. The two of them, like he, the swinging, the swinging door of the kitchen, provides so much room for amazing comedy. Where it swings, and then you see him like doing something completely insane, and it swings back, and you see his boss choking him, and it's brilliant. I don't want to say it's out of place, but it's one of those things. Like I think that in this movie, Blake Edwards brings a lot of right directed by Blake Edwards together. Pink Panther, yeah. Yeah, I think what what Blake Edwards does in this in in on many levels is bring a lot of things together. So on the one hand, you have you you have this insidious producer who's uh, trying to sleep with this actress, right? And we, you know, t- today in today's world, we can think of uh, you know at least one name of, yeah. of someone who. Was that in real life? Right. But we see it being kind of Rhymes commonplace Marvy Schmeinstein. Yes, that it does. Amongst uh, many others. Amongst many others, yeah. But yeah. Th- I would say the bi- like the biggest name in that. Right. But it's kind of, it's commonplace. And you also see you know, Wyoming, was it Wyoming Bill? Wyoming Bill Kelso played by Denny Miller, who was Tarzan some years earlier. Yeah. Um, and I, he's, it. It's weird because he's he's amused by Hrundi, but 
he's also kind of like it's kind of like the jock when the like the nerdy kid shows up at the party and the jock's like hey let's get him drunk and well yeah i mean it, it could be looked at in a, in a few different ways i totally see what you're saying there wyoming bill clearly has the motive of sleeping with his date um who's I, I don't I could was she like a French actress or something? I couldn't really yeah. tell. She was mostly just giggling the whole time. So his focus is, you know, getting with her. But he definitely seems tickled by Harundi. And you know, their first interaction is, you know, Harundi is a fan of his. He signs an autograph for him. They have a laugh together. They, you know, play around a little bit. Of course, there's some uh racial uh injustice is done in terms of um when he says that he's indian and then he calls him an engine uh, jokingly but still yeah. it's like you're offending you know a lot of people all in one word right there excuse me excuse me sir but you are are you not wyoming bill calso the famous film star that's me in the flesh oh god what a moment <laughs> in my life Oh, sir, I've seen every one of your films. Oh, well, that's what wonderful, wonderful. Oh, what a wonderful strong grip you've got. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> Goodness, I would have been disappointed if you hadn't crushed my hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen, would you do me the honor to sign me an autograph? Oh, sure, here, hold this. Oh, oh I'll be glad to. I'm also in the acting profession, you know. Oh, you are? Yes, indeed. I'm not in your quality, but I am also yeah. an actor. <laughs> What's your name? Uh, Hurundi. H are you India? <laughs> Wait till I tell them at home that I met him. They will never believe me. Uh, where are you from? I am from India. That's covered engine. Oh, not you, bang howdy, partner. <laughs> I'm pretty quick on our drive. Never right? I believe in all my whole life I would meet him, but he would go bang partner. <laughs> Listen to me. Right, a man that's speaking a bit fork uh, tongue. <laughs> 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 you old haunted, buddy. <laughs> Cute little fella, isn't he? I know all your sayings. I know all of them. All oh, of good. them. Randy, the say one hello. Where, where you walk along and then you go... Mm. <laughs> Randy, say hello to Senorita here. Hello, partner. Catch <laughs> it. There you go. Oh, thank you. This is a wonderful thing you have done for me. Oh, my well, pleasure. Thank you. And I... Uh, Thank you. I would love to say that it has been the greatest moment in my life. <laughs> Bang! I got you! <laughs> I was quick on you. You beat me that time, pal. That's right. That's <laughs> luck to you. And it, it's interesting because if you if you think about it, whereas you'd say, oh, well, it's, it was the 1960s that happened. Mm. It's I think it's it's being cited. It's not something that's meant to blend into the background. It is right. something that you're meant to notice which comes yeah we'll, into, we'll get into that yeah okay yeah so um just quickly while we're talking about wyoming bill and but i feel like you know he always calls him like little buddy and he tries and he's like helping him get changed after he falls into the pool and you know it, he doesn't have to do those things yeah no he's not a dick he's not a bully but yeah. he's there's a bit of that that character, whatever character he's supposed to be playing, which I think it's one of those things where, like in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where you know the type, the yeah. character he's playing might be fictional, but you know the real, the real thing. So, yeah, yeah he's he's uh, and 
correct me if I'm getting the name wrong, but Obi Doyle, maybe uh, a few years later in the career. Uh, once he drops the singing. Yeah. And yeah. Um, Hobie Doyle. Hobie Doyle. Hobie. Yeah. Hobie. Yeah. Hobart. <laughs> As Ray, as Ray, we're right. talking about Hail Caesar, by the way, if you haven't seen it. <sighs> so good. Uh, and yeah, Alden Ehrenreich as, as Hobie Doyle is fantastic. And he and Ray Fiennes have one of the best scenes in recent oh, memory. the past together. decade. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Would that it were so simple. Uh, <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I think of him as, he's kind of like a, you know, like a... Why, like he's supposed to be playing like Wild Bill, or is he like a TV actor? Does he do like the yeah. B movie westerns? I think he's that, not John Wayne. No, he's not John Wayne. He's definitely more like B movie westerns, but recognizable enough that Harundi knows who he is, and he's also at a dinner party for like a major studio executive. Yeah. So, which also has like you know a congressman is there. So it's like it's not just you know day players on westerns and stuff. It's you know. Yeah, I, I yeah. But he's clearly meant to represent a certain type of actor working in Hollywood at that mm-hmm. at that time. In fact, probably Leonardo DiCaprio's character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Like like Bounty that, Law. I think, you know, they they are of the same ilk, if you will. Mm-hmm. Cut right. from the same cloth. So of course we have to talk about the brown face. Oh yeah. So we're not gonna beat around the bush anymore we're going to talk about that so we've talked about it a little bit before in uh short circuit with fisher stevens uh character which you know as as he says was you know he wasn't thinking about it he was just doing his job and that was what 20 years after this oh 86 oh we go from 68 to 86 yes so 18 years later and uh yeah, you know, people weren't really thinking about that. It was a job as a job. And it was, oh, great. You can do that voice. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. And I could speak to that from my community theater experience. Mm, go on. Um, so, you know, I did a, a quite a bit of community theater back in, in my teens and 20s. And in, and I could do voices there were a couple of things that i had going for me in terms of theater because i didn't have the best singing voice and i wasn't quite leaning man material but i could do voices i could do impressions um and uh i could also play people that were three times my age Uh uh-huh so uh one of the in fact two roles i played and this was in the early to mid 90s not required but involved me being put in brown face and mm. having my uh you know hair sprayed dark black with the cheapest i'm pretty sure that's why it started falling out yeah. uh like just the worst stuff ever i remember washing that out and it was twice because it i happened, remember that yeah it happened in high school when i played the character of jesus in the odd couple in neil simon's uh, gender swapped version right. of the odd couple. He was doing that before it was cool. And then later in 1995, playing the Persian salesman Ali Hakim in Oklahoma. Yeah, not a good, not a good look. Oh, and the accent. I mean, I was mo- I was doing 
it was closer to Peter's cellar. Like I had no idea what I was doing. I did not do accent work. I was just like, oh, okay, I'm going to like do the Apu voice from The Simpsons because I was 17. And the Apu voice from The Simpsons is inspired by Harundi. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's oh, is it directly inspired by yeah. Harundi? Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, Hank Azaria has uh, gone on record saying, you know, because he has uh, announced that he's no longer going to be voicing Apu, you know, he references how Harundi Bakshi was the inspiration behind, you know, the voice of Apu. And so, yeah, and I don't want to say he's passing the buck, but it almost sounds like... Yeah, I don't know if there was any... If this... Harundi might be, like, the first notable uh, appearance of of Brownface. I mean, surely it's been done before, but, like, I think that in terms of, like, major studio pictures, uh, this was, like, the most prominent one, and it's one of the more remembered of uh, of the time. Yeah, I, I mean, and not just if you... If- if if you're thinking not just brownface but actors playing not just playing characters of other ethnicities or races but characters uh, and but playing them very stereotypically mm-hmm. and Mickey Rooney in Breakfast at Tiffany's well comes immediately yeah. to mind yeah so it's not you know there's a history of it but here we have Peter Sellers who's a big star yeah and, well, I'm going to I'm just yeah. going to read the bit from uh the Wikipedia section on the the racist uh bits of the party. So, uh it says the party has been criticized as having perpetuated brown stereotypes and using brownface to ridicule Indian culture. Shane Danielson wrote that a comic masterpiece, yet hardly the most enlightened depiction of our subcontinental brothers, still propelled by sellers in St. Brio, this late display of brownface provided some guilty chuckles and at least one enduring catchphrase, the immortal Birdie Num Num. According to a friend from the great Indian director, sorry, yeah, according to a friend of the great Indian director, uh, Satyajit Ray, that filmmaker was at the time intending to work with sellers on a project. He then watched the party and chances of them working together became as likely as P.W. Botha collaborating with Stephen Bicko. That's like a Dennis Miller joke. I was just <laughs> thinking that. Oh Several other journalists and movie critics have analyzed the racial aspects of the film and labeled the party as a racist comedy. I've, I've read a bunch of other articles and some from other, uh, you know, South Asian journalists mm-hmm. who... You know, look at a movie like The Party as being definitely problematic, but understanding that this was Peter Sellers. This was Peter Sell like this is what Peter Sellers did. And this is just one instance where, you know, it's it's a much different race than he had been playing and should be should be playing. And or nationality or, you know, whatever. And the, but a lot of these journalists are saying that, like, despite that, they couldn't help themselves but enjoy the party for what it is. And it's like they can't get they don't get too mad at the portrayal. It's more like I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. Well, yes. And I hope that this wouldn't be done this way today. No, I, I did want to uh, share some selections from an article I'd read on popmatters.com. And this is published by Jesse Hassinger. Um, I'm presuming not a South Asian journalist, uh, but this is from 2014, where he points out that the, uh, similar to what you're saying, 
he talks about, first of all, the relatability. It says, who hasn't, like Bakshi, arrived at a party or gathering and felt somehow out of place? Mm-hmm. And he talks about how that empathy is the key to accepting the performance yeah. and you know uh the he jesse here notes uh of course cultural values were not the same in 1968 as they are now um and like his inspector clouseau uh bakshi has no malice in his heart and right. ultimately is the the movie's hero the brown face as fortunate as it looks now doesn't entirely play as racist caricature because chameleonic comedy was the actor's stock in trade yeah so yeah. I have a question though that brings me to a question because we're talking a fine line here. In my opinion, there has to be if you're going to go to that step, if you're going to go to that level similarly to Robert Downey Jr in Tropic Thunder, mm-hmm. what's the purpose? Right. Yeah. If, if it's just for laughs then no. It's right. not okay. But if you're and specifically if the casting of a white actor as an uh, an an Indian, as someone from India with that ethnicity, in a film that is criti- critiquing Hollywood, mm-hmm. Hollywood society, right? Well, could that be part of it? Yeah, and there's a lot of hints that we get that there's more to his character than just a complete dumb shit. And oh, definitely. And no, he, he ends up being the life of the party. He ends up being the life of the party. And also, uh, he says a few things that are, I don't know, uh, especially interesting. He Someone Just goes, who do you think, think you, you are? are? And he says, in India, India we, we don't, don't think, think who we are. are. We, we know, know who we are. Which has been quoted by Indira Gandhi. So it's like... There's more to him than just a caricature. And Mm -hmm. then when the daughter of the studio head comes in with the elephant that has all these, uh, you know, protest slogans and things like that. Although there are some of them that are kind of weird. I wrote some of them down. Chicken Little was right. The world is flat. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We'd rather banana, boss, Socrates eats hemlock, go naked, and love is a sugar cube. But that's, and there we go. There's Blake Edwards. And this is maybe me just giving Blake Edwards a lot of credit Uh for being such a clever satirist Mm -hmm. and Peter Sellers for being a very smart partner in crime is he's bringing all of these people together. He's bringing all of these parties Mm -hmm. together. Yeah. And because you, you have the 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 congressman who I assume is conservative, you've got the, you know, the older, lecherous, more conservative men. You've got the the cowboy representing that, you know, the old West. Yeah. There's like the younger woman who's who's dancing. You have to figure that she's just some like Hollywood person who I don't know mm-hmm. is connected You've got the craziness and then, but what is it that bring, what is it that kind of stops everything? And I might not be remembering correctly, but I, f- they, well, the, the studio head's wife, uh, hired Russian dancers to come in. Right. Like yes. a Russian music group and dancers to come in. Uh, and that really livened up the party. When, when, sh- when, um, I forget her name. Uh, but when the actress, I think she, she was the young actress, does the, you referred to it as the Zuby Zoo, oh, yeah. which it was, was exactly what I thought when yeah. I watched it, Mad Men. Uh, well, and, oh, and, oh, okay, keep going, because I want to I come back to that in a little bit. Doesn't everything, if I'm remembering correctly, doesn't, 
everything kind of stopped for a moment. Everything stops and everybody's just watching her. And she's singing this beautiful song. Meanwhile, Peter Sellers has to pee so bad. And he pops up right behind her in view of everybody. And he's trying to play it off as if he's just like leaning against the wall and being all cool. But he has to pee so bad. And it is an astonishingly funny scene. Like, if if anybody's familiar with the episode of Mad Men, when, you know, she's having the party at the house, um, I'm forgetting the the character's name. Oh, yeah, it's it Don's his wife, his second, second wife. wife. Yeah, when she's, like, having their little, like, mod party at their apartment, and she's singing Zooby Zooby Zoo. Imagine if, like, I don't know, Pete Campbell, like, has to piss really bad like the entire time <laughs> no, it would totally be joel murray's character on mad men i forget his name oh, but the that's drunk, who it, yeah 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 uh, that is true yeah yeah so i and of course with that as with everything else i don't think it's just a gag for laughs i there's a juxtaposition happening that's very intentional and i think that I might not understand entirely what they were going for, but I think they were going for more than just, all right, let's just take this like nice little classy party and rough it up. It's it's also like what happened over the course of, of the 60s in terms uh, yeah. of like society, because the mm-hmm. 1960s start, we're kind of coming, you know, Eisenhower era. And, you know, it's it's what Trump recently referred to as a tweet is what like the, the suburban dream, a, oh, a.k.a. white and. But very, you know, orderly. And then there's a natural course it takes Mm -hmm. to then devolve into something that's that's chaotic, but also much more meaningful and exciting. Sorry, right. Well, I, I want to come back because uh, we, we veered off into a different direction. I just want to touch on one more thing having to do with uh, Peter Sellers' depiction of an Indian person. And oh, yes. there is and we're talking you you mentioned uh, Blake Edwards' use of satire and, and using a way to like prove a point or tell us something using these these things. And we were talking about the elephant and the elephant comes in painted. It's got all these protest slogans on it. And what? I nothing. Oh, oh you I, just know where I'm going? Yeah, the clouds just cleared. Go ahead. Oh, got it. Oh, right. well, there was an article called The Elephant in the Room. So if that's the, oh, the that, phrase you're yeah. thinking, yeah, it's hard to not think about that. That's so, the, I think that's the article I just quoted. Oh, yeah. Fact. Then, yeah, I definitely yeah. read that one, too. Yeah. So I uh, but what I wanted to say is that there's a a line in in there when he first comes up to the daughter with the elephant and he's like, is this your elephant? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, hello. Hello. How are you? Oh, I'm all right. Is this your elephant? Yes, this is God, you've done a proper old paint job on this, haven't you? What's wrong with it? You should be ashamed of yourself. Why? Well, this is a symbol of my country. Don't you paint them in India? Yes, we paint them all right, but we don't paint slogans all over. Look, he's got the word is flat on his forehead, Socrates eats hemlock on the side, and go naked all over his bum. I'm I'm terribly sorry. We didn't mean to be disrespectful. Yes, I know, but it's humiliating. They know, you know. I mean, how would you like it if an Indian person such as myself came along and drew a moustache and a beard on your ladybirds? It's the same thing. So I, the way that I read that was kind of like him acknowledging how awful it was to be doing brownface, where it's like, you, you can't just do it without having a a purpose behind it. You have to be doing it with, you know, trying to say something like, did he actually say the word, was it Ladybird? He said Ladybird. Yeah. Who was the first late Ladybird Johnson was the first lady of the country Mm -hmm. at the time. Yes. Right. 
Yeah, it took me, I had trouble understanding it, and then I, I found, like, a teleplay or whatever it was, because this was not a scripted movie. This was a mostly improvised movie. It was outlined and, mm-hmm. and then improvised. Um, so, yeah, that's what that's what he says, and, and it's like, he wasn't just going to say that without it meaning something. And I think that it is a commentary on him doing brownface. And what's interesting is that I, you know, typed in this this line in, in Google and I found nothing. And like, it doesn't come up in any of the articles that I've seen. Uh, even in like the IMDb quotes, it has the bit right before the, the it's humiliating. How would you like it if an Indian person, blah, blah, blah. It has the like, you know, this is the symbol of my country and she's like you paint it don't you and he's like yeah but not with this and then he calls out some of the things like it says um go naked on the head or the world is flat and whatever mm-hmm. so it's really interesting to me that he says how would you like if an indie person said to myself came along and drew a mustache and beard on your ladybird it's the same thing and yeah it just feels very intentional to me and very overlooked the entire movie from what i've from what I've gathered and other critics like uh, Roger, Roger Ebert's review of it from 1968 is really like, feels like he got it. Of course he doesn't really acknowledge the, uh, the Brown face writing this at, he doesn't in in 1968. He doesn't No, no, but um, no, he just describes it as sellers is Rondi V. Bakshi, a painfully polite actor from India who courteously and delicately. It was, I mean, that's how commonplace. Yeah. But so, well, bonus also points. understood that Peter Sellers, this is what he did. Yeah. This is just and, what he did. And since Blake Edwards was such a frequent collaborator with him, mm-hmm. I could totally imagine, and you brought up Sasha Baron Cohen earlier, and I think this is, you know, their, their spiritual connection yeah. well i'm sure there's a lot of inspiration from but sellers. of 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 really kind of plotting this out and saying like man like this is a big problem that nobody notices and how do we what do the country at the time was very much divided there was um you know there was protesting there was violence there was it, it, it very much what what we've seen in in 2020 Mm-hmm. But also, but in 1968, and you know, very much over the same, uh, a lot of the same reasons. So, I could see Edwards as being the type of filmmaker to, like I said, and Sellers as as the that collaborator to say, how do we do that? What can we do that's going to get people to see something and take in something that is goes so against what they're thinking right now and it's that once we all get together and forget what the rules are supposed to be we can all party we can (laughs) all get down in the bubbles we can get down in the bubbles yeah tiny as they may be they're they're having a foam party which is something that became popular in the early 2000s i believe (laughs) did it really oh like i mean club scene stuff where it's just like rooms of just foam that's that's hilarious it's a thing so it was a um, thing but yeah, but anyway, Ebert also cites the fact that like Sellers isn't just naturally funny. He can't just stand there and make people laugh, but like that he's working in this. And, mm-hmm. you know, so people, I think, enjoyed it at the time, but again, overlooked a lot of what 
what didn't stand out to them because it was so commonplace. Right. And now I think we're it's it's almost a movie that needs hindsight mm-hmm. to really get it and to look at it and and to know who Blake Edwards was and what his work what kind of characteristics uh his work had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Dan, let me ask you, do you think that the party in 1968, do you think that this would have worked with a character that was white? Like a Forrest Gump. Like a Forrest Gump. Yeah, and I mean, Not Forrest as well. Gump. Well, Not I as... mean, yeah, Forrest Gump, plus also being there, it's a very similar story where it's these people who, you know, have barriers and they are misunderstood in ways that make them seem much more wise. Mm-hmm. You see Forrest Gump when he's giving the speech at, in DC, when he's uh, at the podium and, and asked to speak, you know, he, no one knows what he's saying, but you have to imagine it isn't some brilliant prose or anything, but everybody thinks that it's, you know, they applaud him and the guy's like, Right on, man. Right on. Because all and, he does is literally describe what happens and everyone thinks he's being metaphorical. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's exactly what happens with Chance the Gardener, too, where he is talking about gardening and everyone thinks it's a big metaphor about life and politics. And they he becomes a presidential advisor. Is that right? Presidential I, advisor? I, I, Senator, I think so. Maybe? Just because he's in those circles and he's kind of a novelty to them, much like Rundi in, in the party. Mm-hmm. You don't think I should take the chance? Absolutely not. Mr. Garner, do you agree with Ben or do you think we can stimulate growth through temporary incentives? As long as the roots are not severed, all is well. And all will be well in the garden. In the garden? Yes. In a garden, growth has its season. First comes spring and summer, but then we have fall and winter. And then we get spring and summer again. Spring and summer? Yes. <clears throat> then fall and winter? Yes. I think what our insightful young friend is saying is that we welcome the inevitable seasons of nature, but we're upset by the seasons of our economy. Yes. There will be growth in the spring. Hmm. 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 <laughs> well, Mr. Garner, I must admit, that is one of the most refreshing and optimistic statements I've heard in a very, very long time. I admire your good, solid sense. That's precisely what we lack on Capitol Hill. But I think that you pointed out what makes it work better with a character of, and it, you know, not specifically Indian descent, mm-hmm. but a character who comes from a different culture, who sees America as somewhat of an observer and outsider and who can make observations like about the elephant and, you know, these other observations he has about, you know, thinking who we, you know, who do you think you are? That 
yeah. that part that ad because also what Americans understanding of India and Indian culture, I imagine was in 1968 was probably a lot about, you know, spirituality and, and Gandhi right. and, yeah. you know, these wise sayings. So I think that uh, that could be another reason why they had sellers or why sellers, I guess, created that character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> it's funny because it's like when I first saw this movie, I, you know, certainly I don't even know if it really struck me as much as it did now uh, about how, I don't know, he's he's using brown face. I, I don't think that I even thought about it at all when I first saw it back in, I don't know, 2004, maybe. And the world has definitely changed and I've changed as well in the way that I think. And certainly, you know, with it becoming more of a thing in in pop culture, you know, portrayal of different races by Amer- by white actors, I should say, not necessarily American. A- and uh, even watching it last night when I watched it, it was like, okay, acknowledged, but this is a great movie. It's... Not only is it enjoyable and fun to watch, but you can watch it and and see those messages in it come out. And you can even, and it's not like I'm trying to justify him being in brownface, but I'm seeing the meaning behind it a little bit more than just being an, being somebody from a different culture, you know, being the the odd one out. It's just that he he also happens to be a bit of a fool. Mm-hmm. But he's not That's, a fool because he's Indian. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. I, and I think that being able to point to a reason and being able to identify a reason and saying like, no, this is intentional. This isn't just like, oh, let's get Peter Sellers to do goofy Indian character. No. And it's very intentional. It becomes part of the message. It becomes part of the meaning and you can accept it as part of the film. Right. Now. Granted, if you are going to try to pull that today, it's almost it's hard because you don't want to spoon feed the message or the meaning mm-hmm. and you want people to discover it the way that we have discovered yeah. it about the party, which is why a film like that, I think, works best in in hindsight. So yeah. L- let me try this again. The chances of them working together became as likely as P.W. Botha collaborating with Stephen Biko. Is that, is that a good Dennis Miller voice? Uh, no, I don't mean yeah. to go off on a rant here. <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm, I, I, I enjoy it. I used to enjoy Dennis Miller so much, but. Oh yeah. I used to read his books probably because you had them and I was like, I had a book hungry for rants. something to read. Yes. So, uh, also we, we mentioned how this character influenced Apu also influenced Mr. Bean, one of my favorites. Oh, I have a, as I was watching this movie, I caught so many things that it, it, it like reverse references, mm-hmm. like the naked, like Frank Drebin, the naked mm-hmm. gun, the naked gun, especially the opening scene of naked gun two and a half. Oh, where, remind where me he's at the one. white house dinner party, the oh, dinner yeah. party at the white house. Oh yeah. It, it, it's, it totally has that, uh, like they watch the party, Mr. Bean, comes to mind a lot while watching it and Borat. Yeah. Oh, totally Borat. Yeah. 
I mean, these these very significant characters that have come up since then, uh, you know, definitely are straight from this movie. Like, does it go? Can it go any further back than this? Well, I mean, I I know specifically that Rowan Atkinson based Mr. Bean off of this character. Oh, specifically? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I just thought it was kind of like you saw it and you were like, oh, that's definitely. Well, it's. Well, I mean, I saw it and I thought that and then I read it and I was like, confirmed. <laughs> oh, it. you researched it. You didn't just say it with just from thinking it. Okay. No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> That's somebody, a responsible thing to somebody do. else somewhere said it, and uh, and I That's took a, it to well, be Rowan fact. At, if Rowan Atkinson yeah. said it, I think we can take that to the bank. Yeah, but I mean, you watch it and it, you just see you see Mister Bean. You know, in those moments, Ace especially. Ventura, the Ace Ventura when he goes. I mean, I think like par, a lot of comedic party scenes. Oh yeah, like that where there's someone who just throws everything off. Yeah, that came to mind. But what's also funny is that it's not just him that's throwing things off it's the waiter it's the you know the the kids with the elephant it's Mm -hmm. you know he's not the only one that's creating the mayhem no no but he does kind of master it right but also he's he's doing kind of like controlled mayhem most of the time uh, the toilet scene is a little a, a different story when he overflows the toilet that was one of the scenes where like you're yelling at the screen being like no don't do that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and maybe if I yell, if I yell at him enough, he won't do it this time. But he's going. Peter to. Sellers, do you hear my voice? Yeah. through the tunnels of so, time. Yeah. So, but there's also seen like when he first walks into the house, um, he had stepped in. Was it mud? Was it shit? Combination. Was it? I. He he was wearing these white shoes, like, and yeah. he had, and he before coming in had stepped in something outside. And mm-hmm. yeah. when you walk into the house, there is a little pathway over a a water feature that's in there. And he dips his foot in to get the mud or whatever it is off. And then his shoe comes off. And right. he doesn't say anything during this. And this is when I was thinking the most of Mr. Bean. Because this is what would happen to Mr. Bean. Is yeah. he's all these funny things. And he takes like a, a, like a reed from the, like a potted plant. And he like goes to scoop it out of the water. And then like somebody startles him and he flings it. And it ends up on the, the tray of hors d'oeuvres. And yeah, and it's just like which that reminded me of uh, Naked Gun Two and a Half. What Leslie Nielsen has got, I think he's got like the lemon with the lobster, and it flips oh. out of his and lands on Winnie Mandela's head. Well, and then in the party, you have him sitting down, uh, and they have like it's like Cornish game hens or something like that. They each have their own little bird, and he goes to like cut it, and it flings on top of a woman's head and lands on her tiara. Though Sorry, he tells the waiter what... about it. He tells the waiter about it. The yeah. waiter takes it off, and off with it comes the tiara plus a whole hair piece. And, uh, yeah, it's amazing. That, to me, was very naked gun. It's almost... If you if you take the 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 waiter with Harundi, it's, it's like, imagine Frank Drebin and Mr. Bean in oh, a God. scene together. <laughs> Not the, not the act, the characters. Yeah, it's amazing. And another thing that I'd like to mention is Harundi's ability. And it's always so funny when this happens, when like he's about to get caught doing something that would have been like embarrassing or to piss somebody off. But he's like on the other side of the room by himself, (laughs) like 
he he finds the there's the the kid that lives in the house the kid that lives in the house the son of the you know oh, right. studio head yeah. he has like a little pistol with a suction cup like dart on it and uh he's like aiming at the little target and he shoots it and it goes past it and it hits wyoming bill in the forehead wyoming bill goes around the corner to see who did it and then harundi is <laughs> all the way on the other side of the yard and he's just like hey how's it going and uh, it and that happens again when um harundi and michelle are uh, doing something with the control panel and they go over to look and see who's at the control panel and no one's there. And they look over and the two of them are sitting at the edge of the pool on the other side, like dipping their feet in. And it's just like, <laughs> couldn't be them. They're all the way over there. It's like this uncanny ability to just like transport to the farthest <laughs> re- end of the uh, of the property. It's so good. It's chaos, man. Yeah. So, Dan, I, 2020, what would you do? Uh, a... A, a Zoom version of this. Oh, jeez. The Zoom party? Just, if you, if, you know, when I think about, often when we talk about remakes or sequels, we're kind of thinking of it in pre-COVID terms. But yeah. here's one that would almost be super fun to do in that setting. And imagine there's a, you have a, a similar type of, of party but it's everyone's trying to like social distance and you wouldn't have Rundi. Of course you would have to, there would have to be some other premise, I suppose for, for this character kind of being, being there, you know, zoom bombing it, but, but kind of, did somebody say being there? Oh Hmm. yes. Not, not aware of it. Well, Dan, uh, Along the lines of what you're saying, it, it's reminding me of somebody I know who I constantly refer to as actual Mr. Bean, and that's my wife, Laura, who uh, <laughs> I anybody who's listened to this podcast before, except for maybe the Grisham's episode, uh, has a tendency to uh, stumble over names of people and, and things like that. But also, uh, and love her to death, clumsy person. But also finds herself in situations where it's very foot in the mouth. And without getting any any details, yesterday she tells me that she was on a, you know, a video conference with with uh, some colleagues for work. And the tone got uh, more serious than she was expecting. And then she realized that she had like a zoom background of like Hawaii (laughs) and was like wrong tone. (laughs) So like, that's what would happen. That's what would happen. Okay. So, so now, yeah, maybe having like, cause I know, I I know it's going to happen. We're going to have like a zoom movie or something like, not like zoom the movie, but a, like whatever, from your mouth to Satan's ears. Steven Soderbergh um, would would be the one to do it, wouldn't he? Steven Soderbergh would be the one to do it, and I think it would it would be funny. And it's hard to do comedy like this, but maybe not because what's one of the most featured gifts of all time is the kid running in with when the dad's on with the BBC when he was on the uh, video oh, conference room before COVID before yeah. before any of this but the kid running in and that's hilarious and we've had exactly a little yellow shirt yeah yep 
And we've had so many, you know, since then, pretty much anyone who has to be on some type of video conference for work and has a child or perhaps an animal mm-hmm. has had some type of ridiculous thing happening. Or when I was doing video conferences with students and we'd be talking about a book and then all of a sudden piano lessons would start in the next oh. room. <laughs> So you'd have that, you know, somebody just screaming. The 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 observations I made during my daughter's Zoom kindergarten Zoom calls were like astounding. It's like between what you hear in the background, what the kid is doing in the moment, how the teacher is trying to control them. So I think there's I feel like having a and maybe it's a short film, not a feature length mm-hmm. film, but having a a short film about somebody on a video conference who's there, like they're the Harundi, like maybe they're there by mistake. They, they, they weren't supposed to be attending, right? Like someone, they got, they got sent the link, like someone was doing autofill with their email. Right. Yeah. And accidentally sends it to that person. And <laughs> instead of the person who's supposed to be in the meeting and they're just like, Oh, okay. All right. And and like, imagine if it's, uh, you know, let's say it's a, I don't know, an intern. Okay. Let's say, let's say it's an intern who somehow mistakenly gets invited to this meeting and they're discussing everything in intern terms, <laughs> but everyone takes it as, as like, you know, kind of like in being there, but everyone takes it as like a big meaningful metaphor. And it's like, yes, no, we have to stop making just copies and copies of the same thing. We have right. to stop doing the same thing. He's totally right. <laughs> yeah. Like I just said, I hate making copies. <laughs> no. uh, so I don't know what do you have. Is that, is that kind of what, I don't know. What's your thoughts? Well, what do you think we mine was, you know, I, I'm, I wasn't thinking of it in, you know, COVID times. Uh, mine would be assuming that we are back to some sense, some form of what we had before this. And, uh, it would be a remake. I think that it would be a, a, a great way to celebrate the ideas behind this movie in a way that people understand maybe a little bit better that doesn't leave a bad taste in people's mouths. And I mostly was thinking about like, people who could perform like not copying Peter Sellers because you can't, but you know, people who are good at those, like we haven't had a good, like slapsticky physical comedy type movie in a while. You know, Jim Carrey, I think was like the, the last great physical comedian. And I think he's aged out of something like this at this point nor would he probably be interested in doing it. He's been, I think, focusing more on his art. But, you know, you have people like Ben Schwartz, who's been just absolutely blowing up. And he is such a great physical comedian, uh, as well as his, you know, comedy partner, Thomas Middleditch, who uh, on uh, Silicon Valley, his physical comedy really, really shines. He would be good. He would be good. But uh, I'm just mm-hmm. going to sh- uh, shout out a couple other names of people who I think would be really fascinating. I'd love to see something with um, Rachel Bloom from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I think that she is a really phenomenal physical actress and great, just like great comedic mind. One other person I was thinking of would be Nicole Byer, who is just 
like bull in a china shop. Uh, she is the host of Nailed It on Netflix. She mm-hmm. also has like five podcasts. Uh, Why won't you date me? She does a lot of uh, stuff with um, John Gabris, who would also be kind of an incredible <laughs> uh, having a Rundy analog. Having been at parties with him, I, I can attest <laughs> yeah. to that. Yes. We got to uh, get him on the show. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess we'll see what we can do. Um, he was can... on, he was on Hey Teens. Oh back yeah. In, back in the day. Yeah. No, he's, well, uh, he had gone, uh, to, he went to Marist college in New York with, uh, my friend Randy, who we were in the sketch group cubicle together mm-hmm. And also with Justin Tyler, who's in Cubicle, who now he does, uh, he works for, on Desus and Marrow. Okay. Um, and. Well, yeah, so Justin it, and, and Gabris still do a lot of stuff together. Yeah, they also, Tybris, they had, right. um, they had some shows running at UCB in New York and just so, so funny. So, yeah, but um, yeah, Nicole, but Nicole Byer, now that I'm looking, I know, I know who she is. What about Kristen Schaal? Kristen Shaw would be really funny. I could see I w- her being like the waiter. Oh, she'd be a good caterer. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I'm just thinking. I, I've been watching some Last Man on Earth mm. recently, and I think Kristen Shaw is very unique and has a personality that I think would click really well in this setting, and right. also can can improvise quite well. Oh yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. Oh, what about um? Jermaine Clement. Jermaine Clement would be good. I could see him more as like one of the other party guests. Like kind of one of the big stars there. Yeah. He would be like the Wyoming Bill type yeah. person. Yeah. Uh, the only other person I was thinking of, and I'm not saying this because he's not white, but Fred Armisen would kind of be incredible because he can do so much with his face and his eyes. Like he, he also, Fred Armisen has a way of inhabiting a character or letting a character inhabit him. Oh, absolutely. Really, he, in, in the way that Peter Sellers did, Fred Armisen is, he transforms. He yeah. really does. Yeah. So, and he's very like, he's subtle, but I think Fred Armisen very much has that Peter Sellers build of, mm-hmm. it's not one crazy thing that happens. It's little, it's from stepping in the, the mud or the poop yeah. And then trying to wash it in the water and yeah. then it coming, it's step by step. And I think Fred Armisen, uh, that's very much his style of comedy. Right. Slow Abs- build. Yeah, absolutely. He he can do so much with just a look. And also clearly with Portlandia, he's kind of nailed satire. Like he knows how to make a point with something using humor. I don't know. I I think that he would be... A, a great choice for something like this, but I would hate for it to be kind of like too on the nose. Right. Which, yeah, that's Fred Armisen. Yeah. doesn't exaggerate. Right. Whereas if much. like you have a Nicole Byer, you're in for something completely different. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So I, I mean, yeah, clearly there's still a, there's still a place because the topics that come up in in the party or the, the the topics that the party brings up are still relevant today yeah and the you just have the like idea. the the daughter who's you know all about antifa 
And uh, well, but look at look uh, what uh, Kellyanne Conway's daughter. Oh my god, she's amazing. Who's like. Yeah, my parents want me to shut off my social media, so f them. And I'm AOC adopt that. me. Yeah, AOC <laughs> adopt. Seriously, but I mean that. Imagine that. What if you did a party at the home of like a Washington insider, right. where you norm, where you would normally have a lot of people who you don't, who you wouldn't expect to be in, able to stand in the same room as each other, rubbing elbows and and buddying up. At yeah. these parties and some outsider kind of coming in and being like, whoa. And it's uh, an evening at the Epstein house. Uh, oh, no. That's when you would be having people from That's, all over the place getting together. I, I know. I in know. secret it's, where no one else yeah. would ever know. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I mean, if it wasn't real, Imagine having that be the setting for the like terrible, 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 terrible. But if you know, going back to what you're saying before, like dinner at the Conways, where you do have people from, I don't know, I don't know how they do it, but you know, people from the opposite ends. I don't know. I have my theories. I think it's kind of like a if we stay on both ends, that balances it out, and it kind of, I don't know. I I don't. I don't want to know. I don't really care. The a dinner dinner party at the Conways would certainly be ripe for this type of of satire and and humor. Absolutely. I wish it wasn't real because like dinner at the Conways, it just sounds great. Like Well, to our listeners, (laughs) if you have any ideas of what you'd want to do with the party, which is currently streaming on Amazon Prime video, I send us an email. As we're recording this, we don't know when when You're it's coming listening to this. Yeah. Yes. I send us an email, ruinchildhoodspod at gmail.com. We are on Instagram at ruinchildhoodspod. Dan, is there anything you wanted to add before we before we sign off? Bid everyone a, a good journey. Well, I was going to let everyone know what we have coming up next. Oh, yeah. You should do that. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, because, you know, suspense, right? So, um, we are we are going to be Oh, this is this is a movie about somebody who's in whiteface but a very different type of whiteface. <laughs> yes. But also a very well-renowned and intelligent, smart comedian, not only starring but co-directing. It's Bill Murray, mm-hmm. Gina Davis, Randy Quaid in 1990s Quick Change. You also got your Stanley Tucci you also, oh, yeah, Bob Elliott, Tony Shalhoub, Tony Shalhoub, oh, Jason, Ro- Jason, Jason Robards. Robards, yeah, Jason Robards, yeah. I Just think fourth one of, uh, build. One of those great movies, and it is celebrating its 30th anniversary this year. This released into theaters 30 years ago this summer, and wow, um, yeah. So I'm excited to get back into that. Always a, a favorite of mine. I haven't watched it in forever. Growing up, um, I, I I have to say I have seen it recent, not not too long ago. So, and I have no problem with watching it again. <laughs> yeah, that one not streaming anywhere. I don't no, think. yeah, no, no, pretty difficult to find. But if you haven't seen it, check it out. Totally worth your time. Yeah, and on on well, you know, as we hope the characters achieve in that movie. We wish you all a good journey. Good journey. Un, deux, 